And I want to speak to you tonight about possessing your tomorrows. Possessing your tomorrows. Now, I've got news for you. Whether you choose to do anything about it or not, tomorrow will come. One moment moves to the next moment. And without you having to do anything at all, time moves on. And tomorrow will come. But I'm not talking just about waking up in a few hours' time to greet a new day. I'm talking about something far more dynamic than that because the tomorrows that God has for you won't just come to you. You've got to go and get them. You've got to reach out and lay hold of your tomorrow because time will take care of it chronologically. Don't have to do anything. But destiny is more than the process of time. Destiny is a coming together of divine purpose and human apprehension of that purpose. And this is the life of faith that God has called us to live. We must rise up and take hold of our tomorrows. Otherwise, just the, 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 the day will lead into weeks and months, and before you know where you are, we'll be back here again saying goodbye to 2013. But I don't want that to happen to me. I want to lay hold of everything that God has for me, and I want to lay hold of his purposes for this coming year. We know that God is not an idle God. God is a God of purpose. God is a God of destiny. He is always planning and working out his plans. He is always preparing good things for his children and has so much for us that he wants us to rise up and lay hold of it. I, I want to read to you Psalm 16. It's a short psalm, so I want to read through the whole of the psalm together. Will you have a look at it? It should come up on the screen as well. Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to call this my Happy New Year psalm. Happy New Year. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Prosperous New Year. These are the kind of blessings that we have bestowed on one another over this festive season in so many ways, in carols and singing and greetings and, and Christmas cards and, and, and presents and so on. And yet, somehow, in all of this goodwill, we can miss the reality that lies behind it all because, you know, happiness and prosperity and blessing are nothing without Jesus Christ, our Lord. And it seems to me that David, who writes this psalm, is overflowing with true joy, overflowing with this sense of God's goodness over and over again, he speaks about the things that he has. When he, this personal pro, pronoun, my, is used many times in this psalm. My trust, my goodness, my cup. And his, his joy is expressed in some of the most wonderful and extravagant words like delight and pleasant, pleasure, gladness. Now, he is talking about God, all the kind of things that we get excited about. And the world is running after tonight. Wherever people are tonight, they're after pleasure. And I, I hope that you are also looking for some pleasure tonight. Are you looking for some pleasure? Are you looking for some joy? Are you looking for some gladness? You've come to the right place because David is celebrating true joy in Christ in God alone. And you know, your experience of true joy will only be found when you focus on the right source, the goodness of God himself. You will only delight in the Lord when you stand up and confess, as David did, that everything good, everything good in your life comes from God. God alone is good, and only in God can you have something good? Everything that has happened to you in 2012 that was good, you owe it to God. Every good thing that has happened to you comes from God, who is the Father of light, who is the Father of joy, who is the Father of blessing, who is the Father of comfort, who is the Father of peace, who is the Father of provision. Every good thing that you remember about 2012 comes from God. Well, you say, well, what about the other stuff? <laughs> the other stuff comes from the devil. All right, it's that simple. It is that simple. Our God is a good God. And he is always at the peak of his capacity to bless and give you a reason to rejoice. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, good teacher, tell me. He said, I'm gonna just stop you right there. Why do you call me good? 
There is only one who is good, and that's God. See, Jesus was saying, listen, you, you, you just think I'm a teacher. Let me tell you something. Yes, I am a teacher, but I am more than a teacher. I've come to give you the revelation of who God is and his goodness. And he was wanting this young man to acknowledge that everything good that had come into his life, all his blessings, he owed them. He owed them to his heavenly father. But there is only one that is good. James, as I've already quoted it, says in 1, James 1, chapter 17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God never wakes up in a bad mood, unlike some people we might know. In fact, God never wakes up because he never goes to sleep. He is always working, always planning, always cooking up something good for his people. And so when we understand that our God is the highest good, the greatest treasure, the giver of every good and perfect gift, that to know Jesus Christ is the highest privilege of life. If we have anything that we think is good, and it doesn't come from God, then it is not good. It is a liar. God rises and meets us with the blessings of good things, and his goodness follows us until we finally reach the Father's house. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever." Jesus Christ, who is your Savior, your refuge, and your Lord, is the one who brings God's goodness into your lap, even in the midst of trials and difficulties. And it might be that 2012 was for you a time in many ways of darkness and testing and, and, and trial, but in the midst of it all right there, if you had but eyes to see, there is the goodness of God being poured into your lap. Now... David settled this. Excuse me, let me just take a little bit more of this wonderful honey and ginger. And it's so good that I think we're going to recommend it downstairs in the bookshop. I'm quite sure that you would like some. Ah, tamusana. Asante sana, Baba Mungu. Hallelujah. So, David has settled this because he, he is saying, God, I've settled this, everything that has happened to me, and I'll tell you some of the things that happened to him. He said, it's nothing by comparison to this. Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now, what you need to know is that in all likelihood, David wrote this psalm soon after he had that life-changing experience with God. I don't know if you recall the story of David. He was a shepherd boy destined to become king and had spent many years being brought to maturity by the Holy Spirit until the time came when he was to take up the kingdom. So David 
who was nothing if he was not a worshiper. He had in his heart to build a house for God, a place where God could be worshipped. This was his biggest dream. And yet the years progressed and developed and God never allowed him to do that. It's very interesting how that sometimes we can have a desire, something that we believe is so good and so right and so godly, something that we really, really want to do for God and, and, and yet God does not allow it. And, and, and David was puzzled by this. He had to fight. He had to battle and subdue the enemies. The Philistines were always a problem. And he had to deal with that. There is a time to battle and there is a time to build. And David wanted to build, but God said, no, you have to fight first of all. But one day, Read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 7. God spoke to him and he said, You, David, have dreamed of building me a house. But I want to tell you, that is not my dream for you. I've got a better dream for you. I've got a bigger plan for your tomorrow. I've got something in my mind that will surpass anything you could ever dream up for yourself, even if it is something that you want to do for me. I want to say something, people of God. There is nothing that we can do for God that is comp comparable to what God can do for you. Try it and see. You cannot outgive God. You think that in 2012 you are a successful giver? Let me tell you. Look at what you have received. You have received more than you gave. You can't give more than God gives. Amen and amen. So you think, well, maybe I can offer God a sacrifice. And you say, I'm going to sacrifice something for God. But by the time you're through with your sacrifice, you are so full of glory, you are so full of joy, you're so full of anointing, you're so full of blessing that you can't even call it a sacrifice. It was a delight. It was a joy. You see, God is just like that. And let me give you some advice for 2013. Shall I give you some advice for 2013? Forget about your plans. <laughs> Go with God's plans because God's plans are better than your plans. His ways are higher than your ways. He has a plan and a purpose for you that you could not even possibly in your wildest expectation imagine for yourself because he is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask, think, or imagine. And so God said, David, don't be disappointed. You wanted to build me a house, but I've got a better plan. I am going to build you a house. You're going to build me a house. Yes, I'm going to build you a dynasty, a kingdom. And this kingdom shall rule and reign. And this kingdom shall be the kingdom which shall usher in the kingdom of God himself for David. You are going to have a son. 
and this son is going to be Christ the Lord. And David said, wow, thank you, Lord. Yes, your plans are better than my plans. And God said to David, your son, he will build. He will build the house that will get done. But you know, David, you're a man after my heart. And I am making a covenant with you that your kingdom shall go on forever and ever and ever. And David said, wow, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. Now we know God's covenant with David was fulfilled by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus received the throne of his father David. The messianic kingdom came through the Messiah. And we know that this response that David made to God in this revelation is exactly the same kind of response that we read here in Psalm 16. So I, I believe that David wrote this psalm just basking and, and, and in the wonderful glory of God's covenant promise. And he was just so grateful. Thank you, Lord, that you smashed my plans and you gave me your plans because your ways are higher than my ways. And so he comes down to this and says, God, you are my portion and you are going to uphold my inheritance. Wow, that's true authority. Let me tell you something. Shall I tell you how to be blessed tonight? Shall I tell you how to be blessed? Are you ready? Are you ready for the 15 principles <laughs> that will move you from zero to hero? Forget it. That's one book I'm never going to write. And if I did, the title would be Don't Even Try. Because there's nothing you can do to enter God's blessing. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor or bring it about in your life. All you do is sit in the place of authority and blessing and say, thank you, Jesus. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. God, you are my inheritance and you uphold my portion. You maintain my lot. Now, this business of inheritance is very important and very important for David. I don't know if you recall, after Israel conquered the promised land, the land of Canaan, God divided up the land as an inheritance and each of the tribes were given an inheritance in the land. 
and there were borders and boundaries and landmarks which were set up by the fathers and every tribe had their portion. Every tribe had their lot. Every tribe except one and that was the tribe of Levi. Now David came from Judah and Judah would have had their own inheritance. By the way, Christian Lythe, who would normally be over there in, in, in the coronet, Christian and Toyin, two days ago, had their baby, and uh, his, the baby's first name is Judah. The second name is Pele, something to do with football, I believe. And the third name is Asaph. So next time you see him, Judah, Pele, Asaph, Lythe. Only in Kensington Temple <laughs> do we have people as crazy as that. But uh, I don't know if they're watching tonight, but God bless you and congratulations, Christian and Toyin. Judah, the tribe of praise, and, and David as an inheritor in the tribe of Judah, would have had his own allocation. He had his own inheritance. And more than that, as king, he had his own city, the city of David, the fortified city of David. That was David's city. He owned a whole city. So he had his own territory, and he had his own city. But he says, I'll tell you something, I am not going to talk about my city. I am not going to talk about my land. I'm not going to talk about my physical inheritance. I'm going to talk about my God. Lord, you are my portion and you are my inheritance. He had no right, not being from the tribe of, of, of Levi, to claim that God was his exclusive inheritance. But he doesn't matter. It doesn't, he, he, he doesn't mind that. He's going to say, listen, I know that everything that has happened to me that has brought goodness into my life comes from God. And so that is the one. He is the one that I am worshiping tonight. He is the one that I'm looking towards. And he says, this great wealth that you have given to me would be absolute poverty if it wasn't in your presence. Amen and amen. Can you believe that? Can you believe that today? Oh yes, David rejoiced because the lines of his inheritance fell in pleasant places. Yes, he had a delighted, delightful inheritance and he lived <coughs> and enjoyed it, but he said, God, you, you are my portion and you are my pursuit. Because all of this without you is nothing. And all my goodness is nothing apart from you. Wow. We're beginning to have a happy new year already. Amen. And this is the message the world needs to know and understand. When you pursue happiness, you miss it. But when you pursue the Lord, you get it. Amen. What did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things, all these things shall be given to you as well.
It's a byproduct. So when we say, Happy New Year, what we're saying is, God, I'm fixing my focus on you. Because the only way that I can possess my inheritance is in you. Amen and amen. So David is full of all these ideas. He's full of all of these thoughts. And he's reflecting on the past and, and just so ecstatic with delight as to how God has blessed him. God has moved in his life. And he begins to think about tomorrow. And he knows that whatever is coming tomorrow is good because God is faithful. And so he begins this psalm with what might appear to be a very unusual prayer for somebody who is living in the blessing of God, for somebody whose life is singularly blessed and who's in covenant relationship with God. And he begins the psalm by saying, Oh God, preserve me! For in you I put my trust. Preserve me. What an extraordinary prayer. Keep me safe. Look after me, God. Now, why is he praying that? Was he in any trouble or danger? No, not in this psalm. There are times when we read how David is in a really difficult place when his enemies are surrounding him and where defeat looks inevitable apart from the divine intervention of God. But he's not in that place now. He is in a place of victory. The enemies have been quieted and overcome. God has come through for him. God has exchanged his plans for better plans. And David is just living in joy. But he is asking God to preserve him. Why? Because he knows that he needs constant care and oversight from God in order that he might continue to honor the Lord and to enjoy all the good things that God has for him. And oh, wonderful, wonderful thing. Now, 2012, whatever other kind of year it was, let me tell you what year it was for you. It was the year of preservation. Amen. Because you have been preserved. Some of you may be a little bit more preserved than others. But every single one of us, God has kept us for another year. Do you know what a miracle that is? You know, we, we talk about God's saving power. And oh yes, it's right to celebrate God's saving power. But if, if it was not for his keeping power, his saving power would be no use to us at all. Have you thought about that? If God could only save you, but could not keep you, how many of you would be here? None of us. None of us. You, we, we rely on God to save us, but we also rely on God to keep us and to preserve us. This is a miracle of grace. Grace is not just that God saves you, but grace is also that God keeps you. Kept by the power of God through faith 
for a salvation that is ready to be revealed. That's what Peter says. Wonderful, wonderful. And, and if you don't understand what that means, you better learn quick. I'll tell you why. Because if you think for one moment you can keep yourself, forget it. Forget it. Salvation is total dependence on God. And how many people have come to a place of blessing, come to some kind of inheritance or some kind of success, and then forgotten to depend on God, the God who took you there, and you forget the God who took you there. I wouldn't need to prophesy tonight to expose this in this place. There are bound to be people who look back at 2012 and say, do you know what? I got it, but I lost it. I got it, but I didn't keep it. I got a great job, but I lost it again. I made a great investment, but I lost it again. I'll tell you something, friends. We need to get back to discover what it means to trust in God's power to keep it in your life. And you know, this is at the heart of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 to 24 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be, what does it say? Be what? Be preserved, blameless, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought about that? What a miracle that we can not just say that we have been saved, but we can also say we shall be saved. We are going to make it. Amen. Amen. Come on, people of God. I think we need to preach some faith into you tonight. If you could, could just guarantee right now to say, God, I am saved. Thank you. I'm saved today, but I don't know what's going to happen to me tomorrow. What kind of salvation is it where you can be saved today but lost tomorrow or saved all of your life but lose it at the end? That is not the God of grace. The God of grace is the God who saves you. The God of grace is the God who keeps you. And the God of grace is the God who will preserve you blameless, spirit, soul, and body at the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. And it's not just a prayer that, that Paul is saying, you know what? Do you know, I know it's tough. I know life is tough. I know there are tests coming. I know that there are trials coming. And you know, really, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about you. So I'm just going to spend some extra hours in prayer right now before my God say, oh God, don't let them go. Oh God, hold on to them. Oh God, preserve them. God, are you listening to me? No. He doesn't just pray it, but he prophesies it. Because not only does he say, God, will you keep them in verse 23, in verse 24, he says, he who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Wow, I need to preach some assurance into you tonight. What is this kind of teaching that says, oh, you, can, you, you get saved, you ask Christ into your life, but you know, the God who saves you has no power to keep you. He will save you, but now it's up to you to keep yourself. No, 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 no. We are saved by the faithfulness of God. Think for a moment, if it was ever down to you and your faithfulness, do you think you'd have assurance that you would make it? Not at all. 
In my life, not only would I not have assurance that I would make it, my assurance would be that I've already blown it over and over and over again. But thank God for his mercy, for his faithfulness, for he who has begun a good work in you shall carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Preserve me, Lord. Amen and amen. But as David is saying, God, what I I want is for you to give me your grace that I may lay hold of my tomorrow, that I may enjoy everything that you have for me, all of these blessings, all of these promises, this covenant of yours, this good inheritance that I have. God, keep me for it that I might enter into it and enjoy it, the saving power and the keeping power of Jesus Christ. But you know, David recognizes that if he's going to lay hold of everything that God has for him, he cannot do it on his own. Now it stands to reason. God blesses us together. Not just individually. Because the blessing of God upon the people of God is a corporate blessing. We need to shift something in our thinking. It's called Western individualism. Recently, as all these television programs come up and people talk about their faith, it's time for people to be religious. And somebody said, you know, do you believe in God? Yes, I believe in something. And then they talked about all the things they believed in. And they were contradicting themselves with every turn of phrase. And then in the end, they said, but of course, I, I don't believe in organized religion. Oh, oh, you don't, do you? So you don't believe that God has a family. Hmm? Of course God has a family. We're in it together, people. And David isn't just saying, wow, look at where I am. I am a king and I'm going to have a dynasty. Hallelujah. Bless me, Lord. Hallelujah. He begins to think of all the people that put him there. He thinks of those fighting mighty men who joined together at Hebron and covenanted to make him king. And then he thought about all the people who stood together when they were wondering whether David should be given the whole of the kingdom or he should just reign over Judah. And then the time came when the elders of Israel came together and they covenanted together to make him king over all Israel. He didn't get there on his own. And you will never get to where God wants you to be without your brothers and sisters. Utterly impossible. People who believe in this individualistic dream, God, I'm going to have a mighty ministry. God, I'm going to be a mighty person. God, I'm going to be a victorious Christian. God, I'm going to be a prosperous person. And they believe that it's just about you walking on your own and laying hold of God, but forgetting that God has a family and he gives us his blessings as a family, and we need each other. That's why David says, preserve me, O God, for I put my trust in you. And he says, my goodness is nothing apart from you. And verse three, he says, as for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David, (laughs) he is not going to forget that he is part of a people And until 
the church of Jesus Christ gets rid of individualistic thinking and understand that we are called together to be the family of God, together to operate in the kingdom of God, to pray together, to witness together, to share together, to meet together, to build one another up, to stand with one another because where one of you shall put to flight a thousand, two of you, 10,000. That's the power of the corporate blessing. That's why we build in this church a structure, painstaking structure, and we work on it and refine it and pursue it and perfect it day by day by day in what we call the cell vision. In other words, we know that we cannot enter into what God has for us without the prayer and support and blessing of others. We've seen it over and over again in our cell groups. When some guy comes to the cell group and he says, you know, I'm so depressed. I've been unemployed for three and a half years. Nothing is happening. And so the brothers stand together and say, brother, we're not going to accept this situation here and we are going to agree together because the Bible says where two or three of you are agreed and whatever it is concerning God's will, it shall be done. And so the men gather together and pray. One week goes by, no job. Pray harder. Next week goes by, no job. Third week, and they keep on praying and praying and praying until there is a breakthrough that, and only, only the breakthrough that can happen when brethren dwell together in unity. Amen. And David says, I know I didn't get here of my own accord. I know that people sacrificed. People stood with me. They fought battles with me. They fought wars with me. And they stayed faithful to the covenant promise of God on my life. And I am here because of them. That's what church is all about. If you want blessing, get together in your groups and lay hold of God. And don't let him go until he blesses you. Amen and amen. Time and time again, I've proved it. I believe I have faith. I believe I have spiritual authority. I believe I can hear from God. But there are many, many times when God does not answer my prayers until I get together with the brothers and say, let's agree on this. That's the purposes of God. That's the kingdom of God. The blessing of God does not exist outside the kingdom. And so as David celebrates the fellowship of the saints, knowing that he, he doesn't live his life with God alone, that he's part of a great family, part of a great nation, and he needs his brothers and sisters. As he does that, he also recognizes that there is another bunch of people out there. You know, the Bible is just so blunt. He says, don't talk to me about all different kinds of people. Don't tell me that there are these kinds of people and those kinds of people and the in-between kinds of people. God says, no, there are only two kinds of people. The righteous and the sinners. The saved and the lost, those who are walking in darkness, 
those who are walking in the light, worshippers of the true and living God, and those who follow idols. Stark, isn't it? He says, you know, I have nothing to do with that lot. No way. I identify with the people of God. They are my people. Now, I love those, but I don't follow them. And when we get back to this, God will give us something to be blessed about. Amen. And listen to him. David calls them the excellent ones. Is that how you talk about your brothers and sisters? On doit changer un petit peu cette nouvelle année. No? Is that how you describe your brothers and sisters? Oh, excellent ones. Well, let me be the first today to put this scripture into practice. Oh, excellent ones. Is that how you talk big about your brothers and sisters? Do you think in some way you're going to enter the blessings of tomorrow while you are speaking so negatively of those around you, people whom God loves? Excellent ones. And, and the, the word here in the New American Standard Bible is majestic ones. He called them the majestic ones. And there is this sense of majesty in the word. This word means majestic. It means noble. Amen. God sees us as nobility. The noble ones. What good company you are in. Now, when we look at our lives, we say, you see excellence, I see fault. You see glory, I see shame. You see nobility, I see failures. But God said, that is not how I see you. I see you as my elite, my noble ones. Amen. And David is celebrating the fellowship of the saints. And he is not in any way going to compromise uh, uh, by following the ways of those who worship idols. And this isn't just about bowing down to idols with names of gods and demons. This is also bowing down to such things as hedonism, money, success, and fame. And saying, I'm not pursuing those things because my glory is in my God. I am going to identify with God's holy people, the saints who trust God, the saints... <coughs> who obey his covenant, those who are set apart for the Lord, for those who take seriously God's command when he says, be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's how you possess your tomorrow. By walking in the right company, by following together the holy God and the holiness that he has marked out. I believe more than ever before we need to rebuild the boundaries 
that the ways of this world have washed away so that you don't even know whether you are in the church or out of the church. There is no discernible difference. The same measures and levels of divorce in the church as outside the church. The same levels and measures of abortion in the church and out of the church. The same levels of sexual immorality in the church as out of the church. It is time to rebuild the boundaries and say, I have crossed over from darkness to light. And I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect, but I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. So when the world will look at us and see something different and say, my, there go the people of God. Amen. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? How can we inherit with the saints of God while we're walking with the world. And David says, I am not gonna follow them. What they sacrifice too, I won't sacrifice. I won't put the name of their gods on my mouth. I will serve the living and the true God together with all of God's people. And you know, when God's people really stand together and declare themselves to be God's people and say, God, by your grace, you saved me. By your grace, you're sanctifying me. By your grace, I'm becoming holier and holier and holier. I'm, <clears throat> I haven't just repented. I am walking in repentance. That's the joy-filled life. As we move further and further into the purposes of God, and follow him, we come closer and closer to our inheritance and to our destiny. Like David, we must not compromise with those who disobey the Lord and worship idols of money, of gold, of success, or fame. David says, no, when you multiply your gods, you multiply your sorrows. No church is perfect because no believer is perfect. But we can still give thanks to God for who we are in Him. So, coming into land now. And as I've surveyed the territory from a height, we now begin to move into some detail. How do you possess your tomorrow? Have a look at verses seven and eight. David says, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. How can you lay hold of your inheritance? How can you take new ground? How can you attain to a higher life? And how can you maintain what you attain? The first thing <coughs> that David acknowledges was God's instruction and God's counsel. God told him what to do and how to do it. David even enrolled in night school. He says, God, even my heart instructs me in the night seasons. Wow, that's amazing. In those times of darkness and solitude, when normally you might say, God, all is lost. 
God says, no, it is not lost. I brought you to this place that you might listen to me. It's in the plural. The word night is in the plural. New King James makes a stab at translating it by saying the night seasons. What it really is, is night after night after night. Walking in those moments and times when you can't see your hand in front of your face. And you say, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I dare not move from this place. Speak to me. Instruct me. And there in those night seasons, God will put a gem in your spirit. And that word of wisdom, that instruction, that word of discipline, that word of correction, that word of chastening, that word of direction that comes in the tough times. Oh, thank God for the tough times. Amen. Can you say that tonight? Amen. The wonderful thing about the tough times, as it says in many places in the Bible, and it came to pass. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff comforts me. In the night time of 2013, praise him. Because not only does he give his beloved sleep, but he gives his beloved songs in the night. Let your neighbors think you're crazy. They probably think you're crazy already. But learn to sing the song of the Lord in the darkest valley, the darkest moment in those seasons of darkness, the dark nights of the soul. Right there, God can be to you something that he can be to you nowhere else. I tell you something, friends. Inheritance is not an easy thing. Inheritance doesn't come automatically. You can lose it. Think of Esau. He sold his birthright for a bowl of soup. Amen? Grab your inheritance. And often, what makes the difference between entering it and missing it is your ability to hold on to the promise of God when all hell has broken loose against you. I feel an anointing for strength in this place tonight. I'm not prophesying dark times in 2013. I haven't here to come to say the boogeyman's coming to get you. No, 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 no. I'm telling you that the sovereign hand over the all-powerful God is going to lead you every place <coughs> you need to be so that you can learn 
what you need to learn and lay hold of the God who promises to bring you through. As Job says, when I have been tested, I will come through as pure gold. Is there any gold in the house tonight? Amen. God speaks through Peter and says, don't think that it's some strange thing that you're going through when you find troubles and trials. No, no, no. Don't think that it is strange because God is working in your life the testing of your faith which shall never be disappointed. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. And so, in this darkest moment, and we're speeding up right now, that we don't trip too quickly into 2013. So I'm going to speak fast. You're going to listen fast. Because I don't want to miss this out. He goes on to say, the Lord is at my right hand. Hallelujah. I shall not be moved. The Lord is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. What does it mean, right hand? This suggests God who stands as your advocate and your defender. Do a concordant search. When God is at your right hand, He is the one who is fighting for you. He is the one who is defending you. He is the one who is empowering you. He is the one who is preserving you. With the Lord as your God and your guide, you have nothing to fear. You will not be moved. Your future is your friend when Jesus is your Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Everybody stand to your feet. It's 12 o'clock. This is the moment of breakthrough. 2013. me because he is at my right hand I shall not be moved therefore my heart is glad and my glory rejoices my flesh will also rest in hope in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore Happy New Year, everybody! Come on! Vamos celebrar! Come on! Let's celebrate! Come on! What are you doing? Stop hugging each other! Go into praise and celebration! Come on! Bless the Lord! 2013! We welcome it in the presence of God. Amen and amen and amen.